Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 167 of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. And nothing gets your dander up more than waste, fraud, and abuse. Drives you completely waste, insane. Waste, fraud, and abuse is bad. Federal government, all government agencies have a sacred responsibility to protect taxpayer resources. And when it doesn't go to producing important outcomes, that's a tragedy. Yeah, uh, and and I've seen you get pretty animated about it over the years, and I think today's going to be another one of those days. Our guest is Linda Miller of the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee recently, now back with you and your colleagues at Grant Thornton. Uh, Linda, uh, you're jacked about that. That's great. I am. I am. I, it's, I'm excited about this podcast because I get to spend a few minutes with two of the people I most admire in the world. You're one of them, but... Linda Miller is one of the most impressive leaders in government today. Oh, and of course, now she's not in government. She's with Grantham. But she's doing the Lord's work in the devil city still. Wow. That's a lot. I think that's the best introduction of a guest that we've ever gotten in 167 episodes, Linda. I don't know how you're possibly going to, how we're going to be able to top that. So congratulations <laughs> and welcome and thanks for coming back on the program. What would you say as you go back into the private sector is the thing that surprised you the most, knowing what you were going into at PRAC, and what do you think you got there and you said, wow, I didn't think it would be this blank? Uh, well, thank you for having me first. Joining the PRAC at the very, very start of the organization was a mind-bogglingly daunting task because we had an $80 million budget and about a paragraph of mandate from the CARES Act. And from that, we were to go create this organization um, that didn't exist. And so there was an enormous challenge. Obviously it was the middle of a global pandemic. We had an entirely virtual workforce. Um, and so the challenges of standing that organization up, definitely I think I was surprised at, um, at the, the hill, the steepness of the hill we needed to climb to build that organization in a very short period of time. What are you proudest of having accomplished having been there for a year? Um, I think we built an amazing team. And, you know, we had a superpower in the government, which was direct hire authority, enabled us to really bring in a cross-functional group of staff. So we brought people from government, we brought people from private sector, we brought some people from the nonprofit uh, in industries. And so as a result, we brought this sort of super team into um, into the organization and they hit the ground running, absolutely. Everybody was so so passionate about the mission. I mean, I've never interviewed people more excited to come work for an organization. And so it was really easy for us to source great people. We built a team that I think was absolutely first rate. And I think honestly, the best team of people I've worked with um, in, in two to one in government or private sector when it comes to the, you know, there's only about 20 of them, but pound for pound, that team was absolutely amazing and is absolutely amazing because they're all still there. So on the other side of the coin, what are you most disappointed you didn't get to accomplish? You know, if I'm honest, I think um, the PRAC uh, got a slow start. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a political thing, but um, there wasn't a lot of support for oversight in the first half of my tenure at the PRAC. Um, OMB was a little hesitant to work closely with the PRAC. 
Um, and so we didn't get as much done, I think, as we would have wanted to get done. Um, we were disappointed that um, a better data collection mechanism wasn't put in place. We were disappointed that the decision was made by OMB officials to rely on USA spending data, which we knew and everyone in, that pays attention to data and government knows is really limited. And so as a result, we didn't get the data that we expected to get and, and honestly that the CARES Act required us to get. And we started a, a project um, in the early fall going through like just how bad is this data? And it was bad. I mean, we found uh, something like 49,000 examples of awards where the the, the description of the award matched the, um, the, the name of the program. So it just would say CARES Act. So we had zero visibility into, you know, tens of thousands of awards. We didn't know what they were being spent on. The, the, the data quality was so, so poor and it really hampered uh, everyone's understanding of where that money went. What do you take away from your experience there about what the agencies and what the government as an enterprise needs to do to make its data more clean and more usable, Linda? Well, I mean, it's a... Uh, one, the, probably one of the biggest uh, things I took away is how many people are working so hard behind the scenes to make this better. Um, we ended up having a really positive working relationship with OMB, met with them every week, going through and trying to think about the ways that we could improve the data standards. But that system, I think, is fundamentally broken. I don't think you, you can't fix USA spending. I think you need to just start from scratch. Um, you know, it was cobbled together, the, the, the recipient reporting portals were cobbled together years ago. They weren't intended to be a, a permanent fix. There hasn't been sustained investment in this area by, by GSA or by Treasury. And so I think, you know, what needs to happen to clean this up is, is investment in a technology that works, um, holding accountable the states and the recipients to actually report this data. Uh, there's a lot there's a lot of steps there's policy there's it um you know and there's there's probably some legislative steps too that need to be taken to really fix this data problem but it is an enormous problem so i know a guy that worked at omb a while ago is it his fault that it's messed up <laughs> yes i was actually going to say that next it's all robert shay's fault yeah that's okay that's what i figured thank you robert, robert i was about to I was about to stand up and defend myself. I put, that thing, put that thing together with less than a million dollars in about nine months. No, there has been enormous progress made, but to your point, it's not where it needs to be to support decision-making. And you right. couldn't rely on it overnight. Um, and we do need to get better. Uh, private sector agencies, I'll turn this into a question. To, to what extent does the private sector have tools and is it better equipped to fight the kinds of things you were fighting than the government does. Absolutely. Um, I mean, governments, when it comes to fraud, waste, and abuse, so many of the federal agencies don't have basic, I mean, really basic data matching, data mining tools. I mean, we are not talking about sophisticated stuff. We're talking about Power BI. We're talking about something you can get with your Microsoft Office suite, and it's not being used. They're not even collecting the data, much less analyzing the data, and they're certainly not sharing the data amongst themselves. Um, and the private sector is doing that, right? The private sector has those tools. It has those analytics capabilities. One of the biggest challenges um, is the data science gap, right? They're, data scientists, unless they've got a strong pull to be public servants, aren't attracted to work in government. And so it's, it's, it's challenging for government to get real data scientists that they can hire and retain 
to come in and build the kind of models that are needed, you know, to identify this stuff and to identify patterns. However, having said that, you know, there are things they could be doing now. You don't need data scientists to do, you know, pattern recognition in your data. You can just run an, you know, some anomaly. It's basic stuff. You don't need a, you don't need a Python or an R coder. You just need someone who understands data, business intelligence, data visualization tools. It's still not being done. So the private sector is far better equipped. And, and some industries, in like banking, um, you know, we haven't talked about identity theft, which is the big story of the, the pandemic fraud. But the banking community has been aware of the problem of identity theft for over a decade and has put in place identity management technologies and ways to verify the identity, what they call KYC or know your customer processes to ver verify that an individual who's applying for a loan or a bank account is who they say they are. The government just doesn't have those those tools. They just, they've not even thought about that. Identity management is something that different organizations inside government NIST and others have tried to do something about. What has been the gap between what the federal government has done or not done and what the private sector has done in the way that you just explained it, Linda? You know, honestly, one thing I think that was a mistake that OMB and GAO and NIST um, kind of jointly uh, did was they, they discouraged agencies from using multi-factor authentication. They said it was too easily breached. The problem is it is, it is easily breached, multi-factor authentication. But if you're not doing anything, it is much better than doing nothing. And so I think the problem is NIST, GAO, OMB, they've got working groups, they've got people looking at this across government, but it's a tough nut to crack. And in the interim, they're kind of telling agencies, hey, we don't really know the best way to do this, so just sort of hold on while we figure out what the best way to do it is. And there are things they could be doing. Um, Multi-factor authentication could help. Um, you know, using SIM-based or text-based multi-factor authentication, which many, many federal agencies benefits making agencies still are not using. And so I think that the problem is it's very, very difficult. I mean, there's now biometric-based identity management. It's kind of the, 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 the most cutting-edge way, right? These things like selfies. There's access issues. Um, you know, when you've got people trying to apply for benefits that may not have a smartphone, may not uh, have even have access to the Internet, they can't participate in these biometric-based identity um, verification tools, which creates a lot of problems for government agencies when they're trying to improve access. And so this problem, this identity management problem, is a much bigger problem for government than it is for private sector. But uh, very little attention thus far has been paid to trying to solve the problem. And I don't think it's going to be, here's the solution. I think it's going to be, there's going to be sort of, you know, a Pareto principle where, you know, the identity-based management using biometrics is going to work for 80% of the folks. But you got to come up with another way to deal with those 20% that can't access uh, using the tools they have. And, but you can't throw your hands up and say, gosh, I don't know, let's just, you know, let's just take their word for it that they are who they say they are. That's an interesting point. You know, the administration's focused on equity, trying to address these gaps. That's just one of the initiatives of the new administration. I guess it's not new anymore. But you talked about some dysfunction early on. How was it, in the end, working with the administration and Congress the rest of the agencies, can you characterize the extent of collaboration and integration in the oversight of COVID response? Yeah, I would say uh, almost a night and day difference in terms of the collaboration. Um, it almost changed, you know, 
the day after the administration changed. There was a focus on oversight. There was um, a, a renewed interest in collaborating with us. We were meeting with the White House every week. Um, the Treasury, when it was implementing the new coronavirus relief fund program, met with us to understand whether their their plans for the data collection would enable oversight. I mean, it was it was like a dream for an oversight entity to be experiencing that level of collaboration from the, from the program offices and from the leadership in the White House and the Treasury. And uh, I mean, I think that's going to make a big difference in the next few years, this sustained focus. Um, you know, the White House is now putting together an identity, identity theft task force, looking at ways that they can start to address this issue, understanding, obviously, that you know, the horse left the barn when it comes to identity theft in, let's call it, unemployment insurance at the state level. I mean, we're thinking at this point, I would not be surprised. And you can quote me on this, we'll come back in a year and see if I'm right. But I would not be surprised if when everything is said and done, about 50%, about half of all of the pandemic unemployment insurance claims were made fraudulently to identity theft um, fraudsters. I believe that that we're going to get to. Oh, that's brutal. Um, we're starting yeah. to run out of time, Linda. If, God forbid, we had to do this again at some point in time, what should Congress do differently in the authorizing legislation to make the process work better? Either what you were doing inside the organization that performs the oversight or uh, among the organizations that are responsible for pushing all that money out. Yeah, the responsibility lies with the agencies putting the money out. Um, and, you know, first of all, SBA was way too small and ill-equipped to put out a program of a half a billion dollars in loans in four weeks. Um, and so, you know, it's not, it, it was not surprising that they didn't have controls. They, did, they were literally shoveling money out the door. So next time I would not put a program that large uh, under the purview of an agency that small and ill-equipped to deal with it. You put it, in, put it into Treasury somewhere where it's got more, more people and more capability. Um, and and the, whole, the whole balancing of controls and money out the door piece it's never gonna we're never gonna get to the perfect but we went way to the extreme of drop the controls and yes a lot of people got emergency relief they needed but now we're paying the price and the lessons learned are just how many people stole money that you know if they used automated controls if they could have done some basic things at the front end they would have they would have known that a lot of these sophisticated crime ring type fraud schemes you know were that that's who was applying for these benefits and, you know, that, that, would have, that would have made a big difference. Linda, it's great to talk to you again. Uh, welcome back to the real world after getting out of the practice. No, I, and, and I say that because I, I, Robert Westbrooks was on a while back and, and uh, enjoyed talking to him. And uh, the, the entire team there has just done amazing things. Uh, and it's great to talk to you. Thank you for coming on the program. Thank you. And I'll just say that public service is like such a huge calling. And I was really honored to get to spend a year doing that. And, uh, and I have... Uh, the utmost respect for everyone at the crack and everyone that's doing that work. It's, it's not easy work. We're so proud of what you did. Thanks, Thank Linda. You. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.